The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, February 13th, 2023, as we finally have arrived to spring training. Today, pitchers that will be participating in the World Baseball Classic arrive to spring training camp. In a couple of days, the remaining pitchers will show up as pitchers and catchers officially show up, even those not participating in the World Baseball Classic. The position players participating in the World Baseball Classic arrive on February 15th. The rest of the position players arrive to spring training on February 17th. No, I'm not trying to confuse you. These are staggered arrival times for spring training this year as we have the World Baseball Classic just weeks away. But let's call it what it is. It's officially spring training 2023, and it's time for us to tackle the biggest storylines for the Chicago White Sox heading into spring training. We have those storylines from our loyal listeners that reached out to us on Twitter to share your guys' storylines, and we'll be talking about that in this podcast episode. But first, we're going to talk about the Super Bowl. Congrats to the Kansas City Chiefs outlasting the Philadelphia Eagles 38-35. to And the reason I mentioned the Super Bowl is that it indirectly has to do something with Jim. Because during the Super Bowl, the biggest sporting spectacle in the United States, there is Media Week and there is Radio Row. And that presents an opportunity for very famous football players, current and ex-NFLers, to do a lot of media. And one... One of my favorite players, George Kittle of the San Francisco 49ers, told one of the media outlets that during the offseason, he is going to learn how to curl in Nashville. So, Jim, is George Kittle heading your way? Uh, Well, he's already been our way. He and a few other NFL players did like a social media type uh video doing a couple of hours on the ice at uh, T-Line in Nashville. And apparently he liked it well enough to where he at least, you know, made an offhand reference to joining one of our leagues. We are already a few weeks into our leagues. Uh, but yeah, I imagine if he reached out with genu- genuine interest, I imagine we could somehow make room for him and his crew to uh, get in some games somehow. 
Yeah, I'm going to be insanely jealous if you're going up against George Kittle uh, in curling. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is such a – he's got a great personality, and he just has a lot of fun on the football field, and he has a lot of fun doing these media events. And uh, I would love to see on how he fares at curling. And you would have to tell me and share me all the details if you face George Kittle in curling this upcoming season. Yeah, they're all pretty good. I mean, they're all athletes. So, you know, basically by an hour or two on the ice, they have the basic form down where they would lose is if they had, you know, all four players, just strategy, just, you know, Mm. like setting up ends. Uh, that's where they would struggle. And that's where like a lot of beginning teams do. And that's why like if you split them up into two and two with experienced players, they, you know, they might be able to do some damage. But probably if they were, they're going to go as a team, you know, that's where it gets a little bit tougher because just the whole strategy watching them come together, that's where, um, you know, that opens up another layer of the game uh, that uh, even I'm struggling with and i've been playing for nine years or at least you get to a new layer of uh, of talent uh, and i'm playing with a a guy who uh, curled in men's national championship and like he's teaching me a lot about like uh yeah how to you know adjust your strategy for more experienced players so i'm learning layers of the game that i haven't encountered and uh, it just goes on and on so that's why it's so rewarding and hopefully you know he catches the bug just the same because yeah we're looking to build our membership so if george kittle and and uh, his crew want to come along we're all for it yeah i'm i'm jealous and for those that are part of our veterans committee on patreon again huge thanks to those folks jim is going to take us curling in april So if you would like to curl with us, again, you can sign up for the Veterans Committee tier on patreon.com slash socks machine. I am not an athlete, so I am sure I'm going to fall like three times uh, when we go curling in April. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, But yeah, if you could bring George Kittle on, that would be awesome, Jim. Just a small request. uh, I'll do what I can. (laughs) All right. So let's shift to baseball. As uh, baseball fans of the Super Bowl over, We like to pretend that attention is on baseball and having the World Baseball Classic will help. But we do know that for a moment of time, college baseball dominates the sports world with March Madness. And then it's all about baseball for a few months until you get into the second half of the season. And if your team's doing well, it's still about baseball. If your team's not doing well, how's the local NFL team doing? That's just the reality of the situation. But soon baseball will be dominating the sports world and the storylines going to spring training. Every team's got them. Some more interesting than others. There's a lot going on in Glendale, Arizona for the Chicago White Sox. And with them sharing the spring training facility with the Los Angeles Dodgers, I don't think there's going to be that much media drama for the Los Angeles Dodgers. They don't have Trevor Bauer to worry about. Yeah, there's going to be some questions about their offseason, but they were kind of handcuffed until they knew what was going on with the Trevor Bauer situation. That's been resolved. Now they can start the year-long campaign of getting everyone hyped about them going after Shohei Otani uh, next offseason, but they're still focused on trying to be a World Series contender in 2023. But on the White Sox side, we start with the number one storyline, and that is a new manager, Pedro Grafal, replacing Tony La Russa, his first spring training. And we got a few tweets about this, and you can follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. Brian Dolan tweeted at us, with all the negativity, which is deserved, I feel like the fan base is forgetting we do have a new manager. And Brian's going to be following on how Grafal is embraced 
and if there are any noticeable differences in base running, defense, and lineup construction. So, Jim, what are your initial thoughts, or what are you hoping to see, expect from Grafal in his first spring training as a major league manager? Well, normally every new manager comes in with an emphasis on details and doing the little things and having a little bit of a more uh, intense spring training program. We saw it with uh, Robin Ventura after Ozzie Gian. We saw it with Rick Renteria after Robin Ventura. We saw it after uh, Tony La Russa after um, Rick Renteria. And now we're going to see it again. I think this time we are, you know, obviously with the Ozzie thing, that was an entirely unique White Sox situation that probably wouldn't happen with any other franchise. Just, you know, Ozzie basically spending two years trying to get Kenny fired and, uh, you know, everything else kind of going to rot. Uh, but, you know, setting that aside, this, you know, th- this dynamic should be pretty fascinating because I think, you know, there's another tweet from Patrick Roth talking about like how much of Pedro Grafal's, you know, preseason planning or spring training planning uh, is going to be framed as like a passive aggressive roast of the Tony La Russa era. Because, I mean, we, we saw with Rick Hahn, like Rick Hahn talking about like we're going to have pregame preparation. We're going to feed data to our hitters. We're going to like, and everything is like, yeah, you know, every team is doing that basically. But the way he was saying it and how giddy he was saying it basically was a rebuke of the way the White Sox conducted themselves in the La Russa era. You know, whether, you know, Frank Menachino wanted more data and didn't get it or whatnot. Just, you know, you know talking about the, um, when they had two thirds of the lineup, not being able to run down the first baseline and saying like, that shouldn't have happened. Like so much of the Griffal introduction was basically um, trying to get out there that he did not endorse the uh, Tony La Russa era and especially what happened to it over his second year. First year was fine. Like, you know, that classic first year manager bump, and then it all went to rot in the, in the second year. And I imagine we're going to hear a lot of that, whether it's, I'm just curious whether it's going to be from Rick Hahn, whether it's going to be from the players, uh, you know, just th- that coming to the surface, it's going to be very, you know, normally like a lot of spring training quotes aren't worth reading unless you're like trying to get injury updates or velocity readings or Pitching plans, something like that, because everybody looks good. I mean, like Tony La Russa loved everybody in spring training. Like Jonathan Lucroy had a job until he didn't. Uh, you know, just you, you know, the the, the hype, uh, the, the hype machine gets out of control just because you know, nobody's going to say a discouraging word. Uh, but in this case, like I'm I'm looking forward to reading between the lines just to see like both what Griffal does and then like whether that was even a factor in the previous administration. Yeah, one of our veterans committee. Supporters on Patreon, Aloha, Mr. Hand, he tweeted at us how the new coaching staff will mesh with the roster, especially with several of them being gone. And Mr. Hand brings up a good point, Jim, because this took me by surprise when the World Baseball rosters were announced. Jose Ruiz and Kendall Graveman are now participating. The White Sox have seven of their 26-man roster guys going to be participating in the World Baseball Classic, and then they have a minor leaguer that's going to be participating. So there are eight players from the White Sox organization, part of the World Baseball Classic. No Tim Anderson, no Yoan Mercado, no Luis Robert. Okay, that's pre- we're going to see a lot of different faces during spring training on that side of the infield and roaming center field. And for Team USA now, you have both Lance Lynn and Kendall Graveman part of the pitching rotation and Jose Ruiz is going to be pitching as well in the world baseball classic. 
that's a lot of guys that are going to be participating and not being around, especially in the month of March. I'm curious on how Grafal handles that and who he gives playing time at shortstop and third base because it will be a good opportunity for Grafal and the coaching staff to kind of figure out what if Anderson and Makata get hurt? Who are our second and third best options at those positions? Yeah, and it might give the front office a better idea of, you know, if Makata or Anderson gets hurt and somehow we're still, you know, it's still worth adding at the deadline, like, you know, which one is more dire as, you know, they go into June and July. So, yeah, there, there are a lot of audition opportunities. I'm not so concerned about, like, players missing time or missing time away from White Sox camp because I imagine, you know, playing for your country, playing in those camps, like, that has to be just as serious, you know, just as, uh, you know, when it comes to getting ready for games, like they take that stuff seriously, especially when you see the the number of American players competing for the U S uh, the way the rosters are considerably uh, more talented, uh, especially like name brand talent than they used to be. Like it's, it's getting up there and there are safeguards in place to make sure that players aren't overused, especially pitchers when it comes to pitch counts and, and, you know, uh, day usage and such like they have safeguards in place. So, you know, I wouldn't say it's like going to be good that they're away from camp and in this uh, spring training. I just think it'll be like an equivalent experience to taking this season seriously because these games do matter for the people who are playing them. Absolutely. But as in, as in rec who follows us on Twitter uh, mentioned, how will preparation change under the new hitting coaches? Makata needs help. Mm -hmm. Robert could use some adjustments. We know that Tim Anderson went to a hitting lab in the offseason. I'm not concerned about Anderson. But you have two and a half, three new hitting coaches that Mikata and Robert could use some adjustments. They could use some tweaks. And they'll get those opportunities before the World Baseball Classic games start. But Mikata and Robert have to leave camp earlier before Tim Anderson does because of where Team Cuba is going to be playing their pool games in the World Baseball Classic. I just don't think two or three weeks is enough time for the new hitting coaches to make the adjustments to see a different result from Yohan Makata and Luis Robert. I, I just don't, Jim. So that's, that's one area in which if White Sox fans are concerned, mm-hmm. I do share that concern, but I don't know what type of preparation or differences and the work that Mikata and Robert have put into the offseason, they have, may have done this already, but they, that's the stuff that they don't put on Instagram. Instead, they just put yeah. out how hard they're working out. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll counter that and say, like, you know, perhaps it's a case where all the White Sox hitting coaches being in Miami helps, you know, if, if everybody's located in there and able to get together. So there's that. I also think, like, you know, when it comes to Robert, you know, he had the – the, the issue with vertigo or vertigo-like uh, symptoms. Then he had the wrist issue where he couldn't hold on to the bat with the correct hand as he let go. So, you know, that, for him, like, I'm not so concerned that he needs extra help. I just think he needs to stay healthy and have a, a coaching staff that, you know, can see if a guy is just not able to stand in the batter's box, which he shouldn't have been. Uh, Mankata, I kind of agree with, you know, we'll find out how much of his problems were health because they, you know, the bat looks so slow at times. It's hard to know if he's just losing it or if it's just, you know, the, the white Sox mismanaging another injury and his was quieter than others because like he was very effective defensively. And that was good enough to keep him in the lineup, even though his bat was not really doing it. But I think when it comes to the coaching staff, 
you know, my biggest hope is that injury communication is really just, you know, when, you, when you're looking at the Zips projections, talking about 74 and 88, and we'll see what Pakoda has and so forth, like that, you know, if the projections are uniformly terrible across the board, I hope it's baking in just, you know, fingers crossed, some really incompetent injury management and terrible communication between the training staff, coaching staff, and the front office that just allowed uh, players to, you know, underperform so drastically that they lowered their games play totals and their projections along with it because that really was like between Roberts um you know letting go of the bat with the wrong hand Larry Garcia falling down the batter's box over and over again uh you had uh you know Yasmani Grandal spending two months in a rehab stint basically at the major league level like it was terrible and so I'm hoping that you know you know, if Makata and Robert are in you know playing for Cuba in a team that doesn't you know that wants to win uh, right away, like that they won't be abiding by the same thing. If like Moncada doesn't look great uh, and doesn't look hundred percent, they'll sit him out. You know, like perhaps it's an early indication of like how they'll look with a roster that is really serious about winning games as soon as possible. I think back to Robert and his hitting, the only thing that I think he needs to work on is selectivity. We did see before the injuries, he, he gets hyper aggressive at times and it just looks like, he was trying to follow the Tim Anderson path of that. No matter where this pitch is in the strike zone, I'm swinging mm-hmm. at it. And I'm going to try to follow what Tim Anderson does. Robert is so much better when he waits and he is a demolisher of fastballs that he's better off being more selective and working counts and getting the pitches that he knows that he could drive instead of just trying to fling a OO slider into shallow right field <laughs> yeah. and ends up popping out. Yeah, and th- that could be a case of, of two of just not necessarily needs a whole lot of spring training work. That might be a uh, season-long uh, pregame data session thing of just like, here's what he's going to throw you, you know, just more along lines of drilling into hitters uh, heads. Like, you know, they're going to get you to chase early. You know, we're, we're going to be laying off this and that really won't manifest itself in spring training. That's more of a, when the games are counting thing and, and pitchers are not working on anything themselves and the relievers are optimized to win that certain game rather than, scheduled you know ahead of time so that's kind of my thinking on robert i could be wrong but just he seems to have an ebb and flow when it comes to his plate discipline and realizing like you know he hits a wall and realizes like this isn't working and then all of a sudden he dials it back in as an incredible so here's hoping yeah i you are right jim it, it does go like a couple weeks louis stops swinging at every first pitch and then he stops swinging at every first pitch and then he gets red hot for two weeks it's like keep it going And then he reverts back. It's like, or he gets hurt, unfortunately. Yeah. Again, I'm nitpicking here when it comes to Luis Robert. That's the only thing that I would adjust. Yohan Makata needs a lot more work. And hopefully he put the work in the offseason. And uh, maybe something the World Baseball Classic gets him going so he can have a fast start to the 2023 season. So that's the number one storyline is the new White Sox coaching staff. And especially Pedro Grafal. And I'm sure we will hear from Grafal early and often during spring training. The number two storyline, unfortunately for Pedro Grafal, after his first question of how does it feel to be at your first spring training as manager, the next question is going to be, what is the status of Mike Clevenger? And we got this tweet from Steve Peters, good friend of ours, and Steve wrote to us, will the White Sox suspend Mike Clevenger before the regular season? What effect will it have on the clubhouse to have an alleged domestic abuser in the clubhouse and they do nothing. 
What effect is it having now on the fans and ticket sales? I don't know how to answer that last question. Uh, let's just say there's lots of tickets available for the Chicago White Sox. The single game tickets are available. And I think opening day may be sold out. But games two and three at home against the Giants, there are plenty of tickets available. Mm-hmm. But with Mike Clevenger, here we go, Jim. Pitchers and catchers report. Technically, Clevenger reports on Wednesday, February 15th. How is this situation going to be handled from Major League Baseball and a White Sox perspective? I think, you know, if my understanding of the CBA is correct, that the White Sox really can't do anything until the investigation, uh, until either the league uh, takes action themselves or says, like, We've concluded our work. Uh, now you can, you know, suspend them if you want to. Whether that's with pay or without pay depends on, like, you know, what they find, what the findings are. But there's like a line in the CBA saying like teams can't take adverse action against a player while the investigation's ongoing, and that would I imagine you know suspensions away from teams type stuff. Like it's just it's it, you collectively bargained. It, you know, it's a joint agreement, so that I, I imagine that has to be honored in some way. And my guess is that Clevenger shows up, you know, maybe there is a little bit of a delay, just, you know, maybe they say like, hey, show up a day later so you don't, uh, you know, overshadow everything about the team. We'll let you arrive a day later. It's okay. Something like that. But otherwise, I think it's going to be, you know, we can't say anything until the league concludes its investigation. No comment, no comment, no comment. Mike Clevenger is not available. And then every all the players have to be asked about it. And they'll just say, like, well, we'll wait till the league. You know, that's my guess. They'll just have to say, you know, we're waiting until the league, you know, concludes its investigation. Hopefully they don't say, like, I'm excited for playing, you know, with them, just in case that turns out to be a terrible take, which it very well could be. It doesn't look great now, but I mean, like, it's just a case where, like, yeah, if it turns out to be investigation says, like, there's some merit to some of this stuff. Like, yeah, you don't want to sound too excited. So that would be the only thing I'm hoping for is that a player isn't let slip, like they try to, you know, uh, consider it like a, a steroid suspension or a, you know, something, something lesser that really doesn't, you know, um, capture... Uh, the reason why there is a separate joint agreement to investigate these specific matters because of how serious they are. I think Grafal may be the only one that gets asked about Clevenger from the White Sox beat pool. I don't see a lot of questions being asked of the players about Clevenger. I don't know if there would be a gag order for the White Sox players to not talk about Mike Clevenger. And if that Ethan would be Katz, maybe. Ethan Katz. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's a good point. Cause you could, you could, I mean, strategically, Hey, Ethan, we don't know about the situation with Mike Clevenger. What are you thinking about the fifth starting spot? Because you don't have an off day when you start the season, you have four straight games in Houston. And then your fifth day, you're back in Chicago for your opening day. What are you thinking heading to camp about that? I think that's a way that you could ask Ethan Katz indirectly about Clevenger and he may touch on the whole Clevenger situation, but I just I just don't see a lot of players talking about Clevenger or wanting to yeah. talk about Mike Clevenger. And, and hopefully they don't want to, and hopefully they'll just you know say as little as possible. I'm just that's my you know if they get asked about it, or at least certain players get asked about it, like maybe Lance Lynn, you know, a veteran or leader of the staff, like you know he might get asked about it. Um, Dylan Cease, maybe since he was a Cy Young uh, runner-up last year, that uh, maybe he gets asked about it as like the performance leader of the staff, what have you. You know, some players, you know, have you know, given that if if they feel like they have the temperature of the clubhouse, you know, it's fair to ask them. But hopefully, they just you know 
have some kind of answer in mind so they don't go off script and get into kind of dangerous territory by trivializing it in any way. I think a, a more popular question while we're on this topic about guessing what questions could be asked of players is the clubhouse loss of Jose Abreu. Like who's stepping up to be the team leader? Aloy Jimenez did not deliver a very good answer, but I think yeah. he was open and transparent in his answer that he doesn't know. And it's probably not him, but mm-hmm. I'm curious on how the other 25 players on the projected 26 man roster want to answer that question and who fills the void of Jose Abreu. Yeah. Cause you know, Grandal might have, if uh, you know, he weren't coming off a disastrous season and has to ward off concerns that he might be done. Like he'd be a natural uh, case for it as the catcher and somebody who like, remember the Tim Anderson, Josh Donaldson uh, episode that he stepped, you know, up into Donaldson's face and, you know, drew attention to it. So like he's shown that in the past, but he's just coming off such a terrible season that he kind of has to mind his own store and uh, make sure that he's on track before like he, you know, his word can be the final one. Maybe Ben Intendi has something to say, but uh, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, it could be a case where this is a manager driven team or a coaching staff driven team. They have to take over a little bit in a way that's, you know, sometimes it happens. Um, yeah. But it is curious. Like, yeah. Uh, I mean, this is uh, answer uh, was like, I don't know who's going to be the leader, which I take it to mean, not me, which is fine. You know, it's mm-hmm. better than like the Adam Eaton thing where, you know, like, uh, or a case like him where he's leading and nobody's following or <laughs> you have, uh, you know, uh, teams kind of going into factions, um, which, which you don't like. So perhaps it's a case where, you know, Griffal shows up and the coaching staff shows up. Charlie Montoyo, like, you know, has some leadership, you know, and, and I guess he has the experience of losing a clubhouse or not uh, getting one, I guess, being intense enough, but maybe he's learned something from his previous stint and has something to say about uh, clubhouse hierarchies. Uh, yeah, it'll be fascinating, but I think so many players have to get their own stuff in order that perhaps that leadership takes a back seat to every player having selfish motivation in a good way to where just, you know, it's, they can't come into the season expect like, Oh, I'll hit my career numbers. It'll be fine. Like some people really have to improve their career numbers, uh, whether it's in terms of, you know, slash lines or games played, like everybody, basically everybody in the roster has something to prove. And you'd hope that would be enough to, you know, not have to worry about accountability necessarily right away from the clubhouse. We'll see what happens with the Clevenger situation. Again, we're going to hear from Pedro Grafal early and often during spring training. But we have more storylines to touch on, and we'll talk about those next after a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
you need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, so we talked about the two biggest storylines, Pedro Grafal and the new coaching staff, and the situation regarding Mike Clevenger. Let's talk about the third biggest storyline, and that is the situation at second base. And Scott Bertram tweeted at us, will Lenin Sosa look like a guy you want to play second base for 140 games? And when it comes to second base here, I'm just working with the assumption, even though I really do not like this idea, that Romy Gonzalez is going to get the first crack to be the starting second baseman. Why? Because he's from Miami. No, I'm kidding, but kind of not kidding. Uh, That the White Sox seem to want to give Romy Gonzalez, who's 26 years old, the first chance to win the job over the 22-year-old Lenin Sosa. And even though I think Sosa's got more potential and I'd rather see Sosa get more rope and an opportunity to win the second base job, I think it's going to be Romy Gonzalez first. Is there any chance here, Jim, that we are watching, if you recall, the Micah Johnson versus, at that time, Carlos Sanchez second base competition during spring training, where... Truly, this is the best man wins the starting gig at second base, and Lenin Sosa still has an opportunity to beat out Romy Gonzalez during camp. I can see it being an open question because Gonzalez has had injury issues. He's had you know strikeout issues. So if he comes out of the gate like striking out 40% of the time um, and looking like overmatched while Sosa has a good spring, and they're both on the 40-man roster, both like don't have to worry about options you know, for either player in terms of, you know, one guy missing out on a, on a season or, or being subjected to waivers uh, because of a roster situation. Like, it would seem like you'd go with the hot hand. Uh, I could see it being a case where, like, it's Gonzalez's job to lose just because they figure, like, you know, he has more to gain from starting the season at AAA than Gonzalez does to where, you know, like, if Gonzalez comes out hitting, like, Let's just, you know, just for nice round numbers, he posts a 700 OPS and Sosa posts an 800 OPS, but they don't look, you know, neither of them looks overmatched at bat to at bat. Like I can see them going with Gonzalez just to allow Sosa to, you know, continue the matriculation up the chain and also like, you know, maybe not repeat last year's thing or where he went from Birmingham to Chicago to Charlotte, like maybe make it a little bit smoother of an introduction or reintroduction to major league pitching this time around than he got last year. So, you know, I think it's, Fair, like I said before, when we were talking about second base, is like Gonzalez has enough of the, 
you know, severe injury case going against him between, you know, the leg issues and then the tonsillitis that required, uh, uh, you know, midseason removal that, you know, he was lucky it wasn't a lost season for him and having an, a normal offseason with coaches who are invested in him and maybe have something new to say to him. Uh, and then, you know, healthy spring training might be enough to where, like, he can get by for a month. And then you hope that, like, he's fine, but Sosa's better. You know, like, it could be a case where, like, you know, that's the optimal situation is, like, Gonzalez doesn't need to be replaced, but like somebody else is killing it. But right now I think it's going to be more of a month to month or even like fortnight to fortnight situation talking about just how well somebody's doing. And if somebody else, you know, be it Lenin Sosa, be it Jose Rodriguez, once he proves he's back from his hand injury, like there are a few guys to cycle through. And I think the White Sox would be smart to cycle through them if uh, the guy who is currently at second base uh, and who isn't Larry Garcia is really underwater right now. The We talked about this, like putting things out in record. The one player that has me at most risk, it's not Andrew Vaughn of looking, making me look like a fool is Romy Gonzalez, because I'm just, I'm, I'm not a believer, mm-hmm. but with Tim Anderson going to be participating in the world baseball classic, Grafal needs to give a lot of guys opportunities at shortstop. We could also have the question of who is better to fill in for Tim Anderson at short. I don't think Lurie Garcia, I mean, he could do it in a pinch, but there is no Elvis Andrews to come save the day if Tim Anderson is gone Mm -hmm. for six weeks. I'm totally open to the possibility of Romy Gonzalez is a better major league shortstop than Lenin Sosa, but still believe that Lenin Sosa could be the better everyday second baseman where Romy Gonzalez's future is a super utility kind of guy that helps spell time at second base, shortstop, and third base. I could see that. In the outfield, too. Also outfield, uh, left field. That I I could see that. I I could see that possibility. And I think he'll be given that opportunity, especially during March spring training games. Because, again, you don't have Tim Anderson, so might as well see what you can get from the other guys. Yeah, the, the shortstop thing, that's why I want the White Sox to sign Elvis Andrews, like assuming that Andrews wants to come back and is okay playing second base and really isn't hoping like, you know, him and Michael Waka Make too much sense to be on this team right now. I agree. Well, that, well, it's that, but also like, I wonder if they're at the point in the winter where they're just like sitting waiting for an injury. Um, kind of like Johnny Cueto, uh, you know, how, you know, Lance Lynn's injuries, like, okay, this is, uh, now you need Johnny, like you know, who needs Johnny the most, uh, who's got the best opportunity in terms of like money plus room to stumble a little bit early on and stick. And, you know, like with, with Andrews, like, yeah, he could sell for a second base job right now. Yeah. I wonder if it'd take like four or $5 million, you know, if the White Sox have that in them. Uh, but like, just, I can see him like at this point saying like, all it takes is one injury to be like, you know you're obviously the best player available. Here's 8 million. And, and that might be the, the way he goes. But if he's open to playing second and open to coming back like that, the White Sox experience under late stage Tony La Russa, you know, just didn't turn him off entirely from the organization. Like that, that's why I like him just because like, should Tim Anderson have to miss 40 plus games again? He, he was great. He was fine. Like just, mm-hmm. you know, great offensively fine in the field. Like, you know, he's not a gold glover anymore, but he knows what he's doing. He knows where to stand, uh, knows how to take mound visits that are not mound visits. Uh, you know, when a pitcher needs to slow down, like he, you know, he has some of the, the soft skills we could call them of playing shortstop that, you know, even if, uh, you know, Gonzalez and Sosa can play there a week at a time, like, you know, some things might slip through the cracks just as they 
get adjusted to major league game speed. So while we, let's be honest, while we worry about second base and we are watching these guys with a concerned eye, flipping the switch over to optimism, I think there's a lot of attention going to our fourth biggest storyline, and that is Oscar Colas. Mm -hmm. And we got this tweet from English Sox Colin across the pond. Colin, thanks so much for your tweet. And Colin tweeted at us, uh, sorry, Scott Hoffman tweeted us about Oscar Colas. We do have a tweet from Colin, but it's about Lucas Giolito. We'll get to that in a moment. But Scott Hoffman tweeted at us, Oscar Colas said whether he could actually adjust to Major League pitching right out of the gate. There's zero outfield depth if his performance craters early on. And Scott is right about the outfield depth. We've talked about that at great length when we do our position previews during spring training in a few weeks here when we talk about the outfield. I'm not going to lie, folks. When we talk about the depth, that conversation is going to go for a turn for the worse <laughs> uh, because the White Sox have very little depth in the outfield. But with Oscar Colas, you know, reading these prospect reports and reading what Keith Law had to say about the White Sox farm system. And uh, spoiler alert, Jim's going to be talking to Keith later on this week in the next episode of the Sox Machine podcast about his list. But it seems like the thing that I was wondering, why is he not on the top 100 list? Everyone's confident that he can mash fastballs, but can he hit major league breaking pitches? Okay, that's something that I can focus on because this is a question that I've had about Andrew Vaughn ever since he was a junior at Cal and I was tracking him for a major league baseball draft coverage. I could do this. Now this gets me settled down because if you could hit a major league fastball, great. That's a good first step for staying power, becoming an all-star or an above average hitter at the very least. You got to be able to do some damage against breaking pitches. But the thing about what Scott's concerned about with breaking pitches is, Jim, and we've done this for a long time, breaking stuff sucks in Arizona. Mm -hmm. Like, you just don't get the same type of spin and snap, and it's like, oh, my gosh, everyone's breaking stuff's terrible. And then magically it gets so much better when they arrive in Chicago or when they're not pitching in the backfields in Arizona. But I think with Oscar Colas, if he could step into spring training and he hits 400 and he's hitting big bombs during spring training games, Jim, he is the one that I think could generate the most enthusiasm and get more White Sox fans back on the bandwagon, believing that 2023 could be a special season. To a point, I think when it comes to spring training performances, like we've seen like spring training legends, uh, <laughs> just, uh, you know, kind of uh, disappear once uh, the cold weather arrives and once the humidity returns and everything like that. But I think it will say something about how he comports himself, how he uh, presents himself. And, you know, there's the language barrier and such, so he's not going to have like a direct line to fans. But when it comes to just, you know, all eyes will be on him. Good games and bad games and big homers and ugly strikeouts or, you know, uh, misreads of fly balls at the high sky of Arizona. Like those will stick out a little more and you will have a little bit more reaction to it, whether it's reporters asking about it or if he checks his mentions, which I don't recommend. I don't know any player would. Uh, I don't know any player would search his name like Todd Frazier did, <laughs> but just like, uh, you know, should he be somebody who monitors his mentions and, and such like that? Like there are going to be some severe reactions to what he does positively and negatively. And, it could be good for him in terms of just like, you know, if he is able to shrug off and 0 for 4 and striking out on, you know, 
uh, three times on nine pitches, uh, you know, and then, you know, comes back and, you know, delivers a homer the next day and uh, is more or less, you know, confident, you know, is steadfastly confident every time he's asked about him and, and, you know, allowing fans to show that like, oh, he can struggle, but he won't get crushed by it. Uh, at least, you know, ostensibly, you know, from the outside, like, yeah, that's, there's some value in that, I think. Uh, and we saw last year and I, I, I'm going to be on the future Sox podcast talking about my list and, and others list. And I talked about like, when it came to, uh, Andrew Vaughn, I think one of the few things that I think is praiseworthy about Tony LaRusse's. I thought he handled Andrew Vaughn's first month in the majors pretty well in that, like, you know, Vaughn had, you know, he had a pretty good first month and fans want to see more of him. And I think it's kind of, to me, it's a victory if you want to see more of a guy in his first month in the majors. Um, Because that means like, you know, he's getting played uh, when he is in a position to do some damage. He's being hidden or like, you know, benched uh, when, there might be a bad matchup. And so you're only seeing the good. And for Vaughn, like that first month was, I saw a lot of fans saying like, why is he not playing two games in a row? Why is he sitting against you know, this right? We need to see him. And like, yeah, to a point, especially like, you know, once May starts and such, and uh, you know, the, the grind really sets in. But I think for the first month, I thought he handled Vaughn really well and set him up for a position to where like, if he does take a hit, his season stat line can absorb a little bit of re- regression or adjustment to where he's not hitting in the 170s uh, with like a 220 on base percentage in late May. When it comes to the White Sox and like who was there uh, you know, and who was you know in the dugout when those decisions were being made, uh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of helpful communication, it seemed, between the management and the coaching staff in the front office. But that's one thing I might revisit to see like, you know, is there anything to learn from that to where like we generate the same thing where like, you know, we, we shield Colossus a little bit, uh, but make sure that, you know, if any, if we're erring in one way, it's that we're being too cautious rather than just setting him out because he's the only guy there and he'll only get better through failure because sometimes guys don't get better from failure because guys keep failing. They get out of sorts and uh, you get in situations like, you know, I think the one that jumps out to me is like the Phillies with Scott Kingery, just like, Nope, that didn't work. And it kept not working. And they didn't, uh, you know, really bail on it in time to reset it in a healthy way. And it just you know, has, has more or less deteriorated for good. Um, so that that's why I think like, you know, the Andrew Vaughn plan of being pretty cautious about playing time to the point of frustration would be fine with me just to make sure that you keep whatever good vibes happen in Camelback Ranch, should they happen into April and May as late as you can without like, you know, damaging the lineup card. That is a very reasonable argument, Jim, that a lot of White Sox fans are not going to share with you. (laughs) I remember, you remember a lot of people did get upset that Andrew Vaughn (laughs) wasn't playing more in his first month. And if Oscar Colas is not playing back-to-back days and it's putting Aloy Jimenez or Gavin Sheets in right field, especially our colleague Pedos, Patrick Nolan is going to just burst a gasket in his head on Twitter <laughs> and being super angry at Pedro Grafal. And then you have Jim with the very reasonable take of, I don't want to break the guy in his first month of the major leagues. Let's, you know, let him get it, get him settled in. And I, I totally understand your point. It's just that, let us like him for as long yes. as possible. I just don't think it's going to be an opinion shared widely uh, from White Sox fans. But I, I understand the direction that you are coming from. It's just 
in this instance, it's going to be Loy and Gavit Sheets then when Oscar Colas is not manning right field. But we know that's going to be part of the plan. Or Jake Marisnik. If uh, he he wins the fourth outfielder job or something like that, which would at least be fine defensively, yes. just not offensively. So yes. let's get back to Colin's tweet. So Colin, sorry for <laughs> jumping ahead, but Colin tweeted at us: Lucas Giolito's fastball velocity is something that he's paying attention to. His changeup just doesn't work without a big differential to the heater speed. And then, of course, he added, other than that, just stay healthy, which is going to be the underlying factor for all of spring training for the Chicago White Sox. But Lucas Giolito's velocity, we have talked about this at great length. And if you listen to us during the 2022 season, I felt like we were the canary in the coal mine, Jim, and it just continued to get worse as the season went on for Lucas Giolito with that four-seam velocity. Velocity does carry well in Arizona. I am curious on just how ramped up Lucas Giolito will be ready to go during spring training. Because unlike the lockout last year, this is our first normal spring training since 2019. He's not pitching for mm-hmm. Team USA. He supposedly lost weight, so lost some of the weight that he gained from last offseason. And he's trying to get back to his 2020 shape. I'm with Colin here. I am very curious of what his fastball velocity readings are. Maybe not in his first spring training start because he's breaking off so much rust. But let's say like the week of March 20th, making it one of his final starts to spring training. Yeah, I'm going to be paying attention to where his fastball velocity is. We'll have to see if uh, more spring training parks uh, have you know stat cast set up to where tracking velocity right now. I think it's like Salt River Fields is the only Cactus League park that has uh, stat cast. So every time the White Sox play the Diamondbacks there, uh, I think that the Angels share it with them as well. Like anytime they play those two teams, like like thank God at least you know. And then you look at the pitching uh, lineup and it's like. Um, you know, Matt Zaleski's taking an inning. You're like, oh, <laughs> just, you know, nobody you want to see like Kyle Kubat. Like, okay. Like, yeah, just, you know, you, you don't, you, when you want to see Lucas Giolito, you want to see Michael Kopech, you get somebody else who is not velocity based and probably will not be in the major league plans. But I'm really hoping to see, you know, one of those, uh, you know, one of those guys, because yeah, I think Kopech's another one who just like, what's his stuff look like? Uh, what's his readings? Um, you know, how, a case where like, how is he throwing a slider even if it's not breaking uh, the way you want it to? Like, He's got similar questions, but yeah, Giolito is uh, going to be one of many best shape of his life stories. Although in this case, last year's best shape in his life, this might be different shape than last year's shape. Uh, you know, cause you mentioned the normal spring training like, yeah, it's, it's normal spring training, normal communications with Ethan Katz, normal communications with the training staff. Although, you know, some of the training staff is new. So we'll see if that makes a difference and. I'm looking forward to seeing like if we hear new names, whether it's uh, Jeff Head, who is like you know one of the new lead athletic trainers, or whether uh, Logan Jones is one name uh, that I did see hired from the Diamondbacks to be like a minor league strength and conditioning coordinator. But I'm curious if we'll see any of these new names pop up in terms of like um, you know who's healthy and why should we believe them <laughs> based on you know a lot of the same trainers being here. I'm curious to see if anybody steps up. But yeah, that's a good one. You know, Giolito's velocity um because typically as you mentioned like by the third week when you're talking about like lining up the rotation and throwing four plus innings to start you know getting to the pitch counts that starts are are you know represent um usually the velocity should more or less be there and you know we're talking about for him like 
sitting 93, 94, I think is fair. Like touching 96 is probably where it needs to be versus sitting 91, 92 and, and, and barely cracking 94. And then our last one, and this is going to probably be the biggest dramatic effect for all of major league baseball. The new rules, mailman Jack tweeted at us, Michael Kopech dealing with the pitch clock. So you got the pitch clock, you got the shift ban. You got bigger bases, which may visually throw everyone off at first when we're watching spring training games. Out of all the new rules, Jim, which one are you most eager to see in action during spring training? Pitch clock, I think, could be uh, one that jumps out um, just because, like, especially like Reynaldo Lopez slows down with runners on. Matt Foster, if we see him, he's the slowest with runners on. And I'm curious just to... You know, maybe I can do a side by side of just you know a Matt Foster inning versus a Matt Foster inning last year, and just to get an idea of um, how much time uh, disappears uh, when Matt Foster is looking at the catcher, just like you know wiping off his brow on the mound. Uh, that's you know probably the one that can maybe most easily be seen because I think with the infield, part of it is going to be the shift, and you'll see some grounders go through. But I, I think as as you know, we got accustomed to seeing three infielders on the right side or a infielder right behind second base. We're also used to seeing singles get through. <laughs> like, you know, singles roll past infielders not being shifted over enough. So I think like the normal single won't look all that different visually, um, especially like in Arizona with the hard pan infields, you know, pretty dry, like grounders do move faster. You know, there's a lot more offense just because of, you know, exit velocities on the ground transfer a lot better on that kind of dust. So I think, you know, that might not be too noticeable from like a normal Arizona where you do see some games get into like, you know, uh, 16 to 13 in the, you know, I'm not sure if they'll have like any of the innings cutoffs, uh, like the, the mercy rules in innings again, but like, you know, case where just things got out of hand because outs are hard to get, uh, between the high winds and the high sky and the, and the dry, basically dries desert infield. There are enough things, uh, increasing offense there to where like, I don't know if the shift will really be noticeable in that situation. So I, I think that'll be more of a regular season thing to me, but yeah, pace of play. Cause even in spring training, like their last spring training games that last a while <laughs> because uh, pitchers either work slowly or they're like minor leaguers who are just like in over their heads and just trying to, you know, uh, get back to the dugout after three outs versus go back to the dugout after 30 pitches and one out. And that uh, things can really slow to a, a just a halt. And I think we, I'm curious if we'll have any innings like that and how quickly, um, you know, umpires will be jumping on it with extra ball calls, you know, and also for the hitters too. Like I'm, I should look up to see like which hitters might be the most uh, susceptible to being, uh, you know, called for, you know, not being in the box. We'll see. I'm curious about outfield configurations. I wonder if any of the managers or any of the teams are going to show their hands early in how they shift their outfield, especially in late inning situations where the game is tied and they're trying to hold that lead or they're up by one. If they move and two outfielders in the alleys and then strategically place the third outfielder is that infielder that used to sit like the third baseman or shortstop at shallow right field, for example, that's where I'm curious to see if we see any of that during spring training. We may not. This may be something that's practiced because nobody wants to show their hand yeah. in how they prepare for the regular season. But that is something 
only like in the ninth inning, very specific situations, Joey Gallo is now batting. And we are substituting Oscar Colas for Lurie Garcia, but removing Andrew Benatendi to the left center gap and removing Luis Robert to the right center gap. And Lurie Garcia is playing that rover spot behind the second baseman because he's played that area before. And that's how the White Sox are set it up against Joey Gallo. And we could see that type of configuration. I'm just using this as a hypothetical. Yeah. But like for spring training, I'm wondering if we do see any type of configurations during games like that of teams practice it in real situations. Or like, you know, I think I most associate with Joe Maurer in terms of like the hitter who never or seldom hit fly balls to the pole field or like to the pole corner. Like the fly balls typically went from center to left and the uh, grounders went to the right side. Like if they move a third baseman into shallow right field and move the uh, right fielder to third base. Daring him hit a ball on the ground, like you could see something like that. Hmm. Uh, if a guy like you know Joe Maurer never hits a grounder to third base side, uh, then yeah, it's a, that's another way for uh, you know, uh, especially if you have like the uh, athletic enough right fielder or like um, a case where like a third baseman just with superior range, they might want him handling the ground ball and throwing the first team. A lot of ways to play with it. Well, it should be a fun time during spring training covering the Chicago White Sox. Again, we'll talk about the spring training games. We still got to preview the World Baseball Classic as we'll have some playbacks along with our friends from the 108 in March as we'll be doing a playback watch party for USA against Mexico. We're also going to do Dominican Republic versus Puerto Rico. We're going to try to find a time for Cuba, but the Cuban games are either at 10 o'clock at night or 5.30 in the morning, and I don't know how much big of an appetite you guys have. Maybe you do. Uh, maybe our friends like Colin in England would join the playback with us uh, to, to watch those games. But we'll have a, a fuller schedule in March with the World Baseball Classic and, of course, recovering all of the spring training games as well. And in future podcast episodes, we're going to be doing position-by-position previews getting ready to go for the 2023 season as the Chicago White Sox will start the year down in Houston. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine podcast as we discuss the biggest storylines heading into spring training. Again, our next episode, Jim will be speaking with Keith Law of The Athletic about the White Sox farm system and the top prospects and of course players like Oscar Colas and what we could expect from him. Uh, at least our first look during spring training and what he could hopefully provide to the White Sox in 2023. And if you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. Again, you can follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine, and I'm at at Sox Machine underscore Josh. We upload videos to our YouTube channel of the podcast at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. And if you enjoy your work and want more, again, you can help support us at patreon.com slash machine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content. Part of that exclusive content, next Friday is college baseball opening day, which officially kicks off our weekly coverage of the 2023 Major League Baseball draft. And that is exclusive content for our Patreon supporters. So if you would like to follow along with me as I watch a lot of college baseball this upcoming year and keep track of the top draft prospects and how they are doing during the course of the season. That is exclusive content for our Patreon supporters. They also get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. And when we have new Sox Machine swag, they're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2. You can save with an annual subscription. Again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. And Jim also has exclusive content as well for our Patreon supporters. 
Yes, I just posted my top 10 White Sox prospect list that's available uh, to Sox Machine supporters. Uh, published that Sunday morning, but available, um, you know, if you go to the homepage right now or if you go to uh, the Future Sox uh you know, header on the site, so you can find it there uh, towards the top. Um, recommend it. Recommend hearing your feedback in terms of uh, you know uh, if you disagree with me. Of course, you'll be wrong because obviously my <laughs> rankings are ironclad. Even though I have no faith in my ability to assign numbers past like number three, but still. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing your feedback. Also, when it comes to Patreon uh, perks, I also have the ability to ask questions to our guests, and I'll be putting a uh, post on Patreon over uh, on Monday to uh, start put, filling up a queue for Keith Law, whether it's questions I get to or make sure I get to myself that are on my list or ones that uh, you know would not uh, sound right coming out of my mouth, but I can foist off onto a Patreon supporter ask this, not me. Uh, you know, please help, uh, you know, provide your input and, and tell me what I need to tell Keith. And again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash socks machine. The socks machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things, Chicago white Sox baseball and part of the blue wire podcast network alongside Jim Margulis. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching.